0: I walked out with like a hundred grand, 32 units, and I walked in with nothing but a pen.
1: Hello, and welcome to Pillars of Wealth Creation, where we talk about creating financial success with a special focus on business and real estate. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Now, let's get to it. Hello, and welcome back to Pillars of Wealth Creation. I'm your host, Todd Dexheimer. Today, I'm excited to have Nathan Smith. Nathan, how are you doing today? Doing good,
0: Todd. Uh, pleasure to be here. I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, awesome, man. Well, excited to have you on. Have a little little chance to chat uh, before we hit the record button. So really excited to dive in and learn more about your story. It was fun to hear uh, that uh, you're basically from the same area. You and your wife are basically from the same area that that I live in currently and grew up in. And you grew, you guys both grew up uh, real close by as as well. And you went to the college that uh, was our, you know, arch rival. So I went to uh, Wisconsin Stout, I never mentioned that. You went to Eau Claire. <laughs> of course we weren't there quite at the same time, but uh, you know, I was a, I was a competitive uh, athlete and we always, we always wanted to beat Eau Claire in everything we did, so. Yeah, yep. um, so a little bit about uh, Nathan, he's a real estate investor, industry leader in creative financing and asset management. So we'll definitely kind of dive into that creative uh, aspect here. Reached financial independence at age 30, currently owns over 200 doors, totaling approximately uh, $24 million, uh in assets. And uh, founder of uh, multiple businesses, Clearwater Capital Group. Um, and then Live, is it Live in Eau Claire? Yeah, Live in Eau Claire. Sorry, Live in Eau Claire, um, a property management company uh, that managed over a thousand units at the time of his exit. So yeah, his passions in teaching, investing in real estate. And so let's get to it. Let's start teaching, man. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Yeah, excited.
0: Excited to provide value to the listeners wherever I can here.
1: So anything else to add to kind of the background or and what your focus is right now? Um, not really. I mean, I've I've done more stuff like I started a
0: restaurant and event center that started did not- a restaurant yeah. It did not go well, that, okay. Okay, not, don't, don't so you're do not that.
1: you're still not doing that?
0: <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I, I sold out of that actually the same time I sold out of the property management company. The property management company still exists today, it's actually called Prosper Real Estate, prosperpads.com is the website, and I think they still manage like 1500 units in the oh, Midwest there, but yeah, I did some stuff with like frac I I've done a lot of penures, but everything kind of always has evolved around real estate. And that's kind of been my bedrock and is a lot of our bedrocks, right. Of our wealth. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's all evolved around that and long-term rentals. That's kind of my bread and butter.
1: Cool. Cool. And so, um, are, are your rentals, um, all in the area you live right now, or are they, cause I, you know, you, you made a move, uh, from, the Midwest to the mountains. So where, where are the rentals right now? So they're actually backed by you. So
0: like okay. I only own my personal home out in Colorado here. Um, my main market is still Eau Claire. So I think like probably 14 million or so is in that Chippewa Valley. Yeah. Uh, I, I go over, I, I kind of include Menominee into that. So so your, your old stomping grounds, I have a few units there, Chippewa Falls, all that. My second biggest market's the Green Bay Appleton market. That's where like the the vast majority of the other ones are. I did own quite a bit in the wausau Stevens Point area. I think we owned like twenty five homes over there at one time, but I sold out of that partnership. I still have, uh, I think, a duplex there. I love Rochester, Minnesota. I love yeah. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Those are kind of my main markets. There, um, I don't, I don't go into the Twin Cities. There, I don't really. I don't really like some of the things I see there necessarily. <laughs> um, but if I'm going to hop over to your you state, there. yeah, I'm going to do Rochester for sure. Cause I so think that's What, a what
1: do you like? What What are you looking for in a market? You know, you mentioned you like Rochester, Sioux Falls, you, maybe not quite so much the Twin Cities. What are you looking for in the market? Why, why do you like certain markets?
0: Yeah, I mean, the Midwest in general, like if you, you know, you take the United States, right, it's basically, and you put a bunch of marbles on it, it seems like somebody picked up at Seattle and the marbles, you know, via yeah. gravity are gonna go southeast. But there are a few outlying mark like markets in the Midwest that hold their own or are growing. To no credit of my own, Eau Claire is one of those markets. I don't know why, yeah. but it but it's but it's growing. It's
1: and fast. It,
0: Yeah, and I've I've been in that market since before it was really growing. The downtown seen a nice revitalization. Mm. Um, it it just protects my investment rochester minnesota mayo is an absolute institution i think there's there's a website somewhere that has this but like the between the government of rochester and the government of the state of minnesota it's like a three billion dollar plan to make it a healthcare destination like yeah. i think there's supposed to be a light rail going from msp down i mean if you see government funds flowing into any market like that's not a bad thing right Sioux Falls, South Dakota, that has like, I think half the population of the whole state of South Dakota. I might be exaggerating that a little bit. I think, it's like,
1: I think you're pretty, I think you're pretty close to there. I think, I think there's uh, it, it's, it's not quite there, but yeah, you're, yeah. you're not too far off.
0: Yeah, exactly. So that sees most of the government funding. It's uh, um, two, two things that companies love about Sioux Falls. Uh, south dakota is a no personal state income tax and it's a no corporate state income tax right. so a lot of regional headquarters will headquarter in sioux falls south dakota they're probably sick of chicago for different reasons and other areas no state uh state corporate income tax so like i just got a charles schwab statement uh, yesterday i noticed it came from sioux falls south dakota wells yeah. fargo has the regional headquarters there like a lot of financial headquarters for regional are there for some reason. I think it's because of the tax advantages.
1: For sure. For sure. So, uh, so really just kind of the growth and the attractiveness of those markets, uh, are are leading you to there. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Those, um, all, all great markets and and a lot of growth happening, uh, in Rochester, man. Yeah. They're pouring a ton of money because they want to make sure that the Mayo Clinic never moves. Uh, So they're just trying to do everything they can to to get uh, to get that to be a destination. So love it. Um, Let's talk creative financing. You know, I, you know, when we talked in the bio, you talked about creative financing. I love the idea of creative financing right now. I've done, I've done a handful of deals myself um, with non-traditional financing. And I think, you know, we're sitting here in this market, you know, we're early 2023, And obviously, if anybody's got their eyes open, uh, which my listeners certainly do, they understand that the market's shifting and it's already shifted and it's going to continue to shift and interest rates are high. And so there's probably opportunity to be creative. So let's dive into some of the creative stuff you've done and maybe what you believe um, coming forward, moving forward.
0: Yeah, um, I'll just start with a blanket statement I've been kind of saying lately, like too many people just have one tool in their tool belt. They see a nail
1: yeah. and they
0: take out their hammer and they hit their nail with that yeah. being like a 30-year conventional mortgage for a this is what property. we have to
1: do because somebody said so. Yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly. This is all I know. And I think that the key in the next 12 to 24 months is to be able to have multiple tools in your tool belt to service that seller um to go, well, maybe I'll take out this I'll screw in this screw gun if I'm going to keep keep on the construction analogy to make this deal work. And people that are going to get deals done in the next year, I feel like are going to be able to look at deals in a little bit different fashion. Um, I know your, your kind of niche is those bigger Fannie Freddie loans. Great things about those bigger Fannie Freddie, Freddie loans. Are there assumable, yeah. assumable debt, wrap yeah. mortgages, they're going to be so huge, I think in the next couple of years, you know, so maybe you're going to find an apartment complex that's got 45% LTV, assumable debt. That's that's gold if it's still in that 3% range. right? And maybe you'll just raise the rest. Um, So from my aspect, what I do mainly, and I have done is I've taken a couple million dollars from sellers via seller financing. Um, My most recent case of it was mid 2022. I did full land contracts. This was basically where I cut the entire bank out. Like if you can like find a, a seller that has a free and clear asset. And that's what happened here, but they wanted a super high price. I, I can still reach up and give them that high price as long as they give me my terms. Right. And th- those terms were just a 30 year fix 3%. Um, I could reach up above because I, when I went to the bank, the bank was expensive and the bank's going to be expensive for the next foreseeable future. I honestly yeah. don't know how long, Yeah, but yeah.
1: So that's kind of my bread and butter. How do you, uh, one of the one of the most challenging things in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong because you've probably done more than I have, but one of the more challenging things or at least a challenging thing is to get the seller to actually understand what you're talking about first and to get on board with it. Like what's that conversation like? Sure, yeah. Um,
0: generally during a first touch, usually um, not on like the telephone, but if I'm going to go walk a property with the seller, say somebody owns a duplex, I always make sure to just drop this line and it's usually super in passing. It, it doesn't, I don't stop them and say, hey, like I need your attention. It's just the conversation is flowing like you know how it does. And I'll just say, hey, have you ever considered holding back some funds via seller financing? I don't even care what they say, honestly. Um, I, they usually say no, or I've never considered it. They never go, yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to doing that. They never say that, but I've planted the seed. So generally, what I'll do is I'll just make that comment. and then when I make my offers, I always make tiered offers. So let's say it's a million dollar property. I'll say, hey, you want a million dollars. I can't necessarily do that. If you want all cash right now, here you go. but my price is eight hundred thousand. I can close any anytime in the next two weeks, two months, doesn't matter. But you know what? if you'll be willing to hold back, say, a ten percent seller's note, I'll go to 900. Here's the advantages for me. I'm always super open about the advantages for them and the advantages for me. I have to bring less cash to closing. My return goes up generally. You get to save on taxes, get to earn a little interest on that 10%, et cetera, et cetera. I'll go 900. You wanna hold 15 back, I'll go 950. And then if you wanna do the full like 20, assuming I get 80 from the bank in this scenario, that's a little harder to do too. I'll go the full million, but you got to hold 20% back. And I did a lot of those deals, Todd, like from 13 to 17. Those are a lot tougher. Like when I'm teaching now, like guys want those no money down deals, that's a lot tougher, and, and yeah. the reason it is is you need to make sure that it still meets. Usually, it's a one point two to one point two five DSCR yeah. with the bank, yeah. and, you, and you need to be up front with the bank. Be like, hey, but there's going to be a second just, behind. Just pause you.
1: real quick. De- debt service. just explain that.
0: Yeah, that that's a debt service coverage ratio, and most lenders are going to make you meet certain metrics. Um, just, just, they want to be safe. And honestly, like I look at it and I think this is how listeners look at it. That's just another person, like a mentor looking over the shoulder at the deal saying, yep, this is going to be okay. Yeah. And, it, and if a bank says, no, it's not, guess what? You probably don't want to do the deal. Like yeah, it's look at skinny. that. Like, you,
1: you have yeah, no
0: margin. exactly. So that's been harder now. Like the stuff I'm getting across now is maybe 10, 15% seller financing. And I can gotcha. come in with 10% cash. Another really cool way that like I, I saw in your um, more, your line of the work. And I actually almost had 32 units a couple of weeks ago in Sioux Falls doing this is it's more you, you form the LLC kind of like you guys do. Right. Yeah. It's uh, there's a term for it, but anyways, the seller stays in and he's your preferred class a shares. Yeah, you right. That. Yeah, exactly. That's a really, I mean, that's seller financing, if you want to boil it down. And, yeah. and that's super cool. You can kind of play with that. And I was going to play with it from like a return of capital versus a return on capital sort of deal where you can yeah. save a lot of money tax-wise. And generally at that level, guys really get that. Like that's super important. If you're talking about saving tax money like that,
1: super cool, I think. So that's uh, that's what I do. You know, that and that... <clears throat> We we did that and we gave the the uh the owner, we gave them up just a straight preferred return, no equity upside. But the cool thing is you can work it so many different ways. Doesn't you know the, the preferred return can be five percent, could be three percent, could be seven percent, it could be whatever. You can create your own share class for that uh person that you're the investor. I think the most important thing, whatever you do, make sure you disclose to your any other party that's involved. So that's your other investors, that's your lender. Um, You know, anybody that's got any kind of interest in the property, make sure you're disclosing to them. And then the other thing is make sure you're using attorneys because the last thing you want to do is think you're being creative, but you're you're just being illegal, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we we probably know somebody that's kind of from my (laughs) neck of the woods
1: that might be in some trouble right now. So- these, uh, these seller carrybacks, uh, it's interesting that you've had so much success with them because of the debt service coverage ratio that you mentioned. And like you said, you got to be at one to 1.2, 1.25. And also that means, you know, listeners, if you're like, what, what does that mean? It's just your net operating income is 1.25 times greater than what your loan payment is, right. Yeah. Uh, than your debt. So, but a lot of lenders just don't really like it. So we're, you, you've you been, though, getting, getting lenders on board with it.
0: Yeah, and I was taught this early on too. Exactly. It, that's the tough thing, right? But it's a story. You're always telling a story. Like maybe you're telling a story to an investor and that's all a bank is, right? But a bank is your investor. They're partnering with you on a program. So I remember when we did a big one, my first ever experience with this it was 2.5 million full seller carry this was in 2015
1: full so seller carry
0: full seller carry um, on this this was this was cool this was like the deal that like opened up my mind that anything is possible it was 32 units across I think nine properties um 2.5 the seller held back half million so 20 percent I got 80 percent from the bank I remember walking into closing, Todd, and I was just a dumb 27 year old kid. Walked into closing, no money. I walked out. We had negotiated credits of I think 50k to help with remodels, and then you you get the tax, you know, the prorated taxes. You get the security deposits. I walked out with like a hundred grand, 32 units, and I walked in with nothing but a pen. And I was just like, "What just happened?" What did I and just it- do? Yeah, in full disclosure, I had a partner there, and he was the one that knew that stuff. Right, he he knew that, so that that really opened some stuff up. And I okay, but back to my whole thing about getting a bank on board. That was across. We went to like eight different banks. I had to like submit like a letter, like to the board, like like a presentation of who we were. Like it was more than just like, hey, we're going to board next week with your financials. Then once we got that approved. Other lenders, when we would bring other deals, they would immediately ask, how's that deal going? And we would send them updates yearly like, hey, here's this full seller carry. Remember this one that I think we had two lenders agree to do it like out of eight. But all the other eight, like I think I've gotten seller carry out of like six of them. Now, yeah. because I kept them updated, like, hey, here's how I'm doing it, here's how good it's doing, here's the cash flow, here's another one d- d- that we're doing, here's how good it's doing. So, I got them on board that now my lenders know this is how Nate operates, he's still smart, he knows his margins, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, just keeping them in the loop, honestly, has
1: really helped me get lenders that at one time weren't on board on board. Yeah, and, and it's important to have. I think it's, it's really important for those listeners to understand a couple of things. First of all, you had, you called eight banks and as a listener, you might have to call 28 banks, right? Yeah. You're going to be talking with a lot of banks. And the other thing is what type of banks are you going to? Community, local, like Small. they're invested. Yep. Right. They're, they've got one, two, maybe three branches, but it's in that yep. local community, right? You're not going to Wells Fargo. You're not going to U S bank. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: These people care about the community, right? Yeah. And that's important.
1: And I I would imagine, now you have a pretty good footprint in the Eau Claire region. And and so you, prob, you might be able to swing another and you've got that good track record. So you might be able to swing that there. But for somebody new that is living in Denver, for instance, and trying to buy properties in Wisconsin, that, that's going to be really challenging for that person. Um, Unless you've got that track record already built up there. uh, I think that's going to be a possible or very, very, very challenging to get. It's really even challenging to get a loan, quite frankly, but then to get a loan with seller finance is going to be tough. So you probably have to do this in your own backyard.
0: I would agree. Cause just like that bank that's invested in the local community, they want to know that you're there and you're invested in it. And that that was the biggest thing. Like they, I was a hometown kid. Like I remember this presentation, I'm a hometown kid. I went to college here. I work here. I'm a pharmacist here. That at the time I was still working as a pharmacist. Like that was all part of this, the salesmanship. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like you really kind of need to really dig into that. Cause like you say, if you're just a thousand miles away, not going to happen. Yep. Absolutely.
1: So, okay, cool, uh, man. I think, I like I said earlier, I think creative financing is going to come back. I think it was really challenging over the last couple of years just because deals were going so fast, so fast. And why why would a seller even need Listen, to consider it? Yeah. Now, it, not that it didn't happen. I just think it was a lot, lot more challenging. But now sellers are motivated and the interest rates have gone up. And so there's a reason for them to do it. Uh, and there's a reason for you to present it to them. So start getting creative and really thinking outside the box. And I love how you said earlier, you know, like most people just have one tool in their two belt, and that's the only way they're going to do it. But man, if you can get creative and you can have a couple different options, you're really going to be able to, well, you're going to be able to get more deals and you're probably going to be able to get better opportunities, better deals.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like I've been just doing what everybody else has been doing and and it's worked fine. Like the last two years, capital's abundant and deals are scarce. Right. I hope that coin totally flips and capital is capital is definitely becoming more scarce, but the deal abundancy it's it's ticking up, but I I can't wait like for that because it it allows me to get back into my, my roots and really getting creative. How can I beat the bank debt with other debt, basically. And whether that's hard money debt or it is seller financing. Yeah. Yeah. One one thing that's worked in this market for me, and, and I think it's applicable that I'll, I'll just run through an example. Like I said, like I, I do a lot of like direct to seller stuff. Community duplexes, somebody, somebody built in Eau Claire, one went, I think, this time last year, like February 2022, so right before interest rates started ticking up, for an astronomical price, it was listed on the MLS. Tick, tick, tick. Everybody bid it up, mm-hmm. went way too high. I think went for two hundred seventy thousand dollars. It's a two two built on a slab, no basement. I sent out a mailer a couple of weeks later. I got like four responses because everybody couldn't believe like how much like that one went for down the street. So they all wanted that price. And that's kind of where all sellers are right now, right? They want the price from 12 months ago. So I just had a conversation with the, there was a couple, they each owned a duplex and it was free and clear. I said, Hey guys, that one down the street, I think this was in like April, May timeframe. That one down the street went for too much. Like yep. it, it, it's just crazy. I can't reach up and touch that price, but I know you own these free and clear. So what I can do is if you'll do what's called a full land contract, that's how I use the term and I can explain. Yep. So when I, when I say seller financing, that's like an all encompassing getting money from the seller. So, but when somehow, I use, yeah, yeah, exactly. And when I use the term land contract, that means there's no bank involved and they are the bank. they become yep. the bank.
1: Land contract so. is, is the same as a contract for deed. Just depends on the stage you're in. So a lot yeah. of people know one of those two terms.
0: Yep, exactly. So basically, I was able to reach up and touch that two seventy price because I, I I got them to come to eighty five percent LTV. So I only had to put fifteen percent cash down, locked in a thirty year fixed rate for 3%. I think we're doing a five-year balloon. I'm betting I can pay those down. So I was able to reach up and get that price when at the time I think bank debt was like mid fours and it was just going to crush the deal. So if you can get creative where 90% of the buyers that you're competing with are going to get bank debt right now, which is at, you know, depending five and a half to seven and a half, wherever you're at. I don't know if you can find a way to get 4% debt or four and a half percent debt, you're going to be able to beat out those 90% and you're going to get the deal. It's yep. just as simple as that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right now is an interesting time because you're seeing cap rates are, um people are buying it lower than the, than the interest rate. So we've got a negative environment right now. And that's dead money. It's dead money. And it means the more you actually, the, the higher loan amount So if you go 80%, you're actually losing money. Your ROI goes down. If you put 50%, your ROI is actually better. If you put zero down, your ROI is the best, which is really weird. Right. Yeah. I've never seen that. I've never yeah. invested in, we that. have, yeah, nobody's nobody over the last, you know, set, I don't know it's been a while since we've seen that, sure. you know, pe- people alive have seen it, but not us, you know, so yeah. Uh, but so yeah, it's different cool. times and and it's interesting. So um doing some, something creative like that. Now you just, all of a sudden where everybody else is in this negative leverage environment, now all of a sudden you're in a positive leverage environment because of what you created there. So that's really cool. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Let's talk about, you know, the business. I mean, you've got a lot of, you got a lot of properties, you're, you're living in, across the country. And so you got a lot of properties in smaller communities. They're not, you know, these populations are not tiny, but they're not uh, massive populations. You know, you're not in a, in the Dallas, you're not in a Minneapolis, you're, you know, you, you, so you're in communities of what, what's, what's Eau Claire Two two hundred, one 200, 150, 200, a total MTA, yeah. everything combined. I don't even think it's that probably high. Probably not. I usually,
0: yeah, right? call it 100. 100 That's usually
1: yeah. what I call it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Rochester is is probably somewhere similar. Yeah, uh, a little Sioux north Falls of that. Is, Yeah, Sioux Falls is uh, maybe maybe like 250 MSA combined, like the whole. Yep. Period.
0: Yep. So exactly. so
1: smaller communities just to give people kind of a context. So I just want to know, you know, some of the, the some of the things you're doing to be successful in those smaller communities because I hear a lot of people talk about don't invest in small communities like that yeah yeah
0: exactly like the eau claire market like i live there i think a big thing and and you can get this competitive advantage anywhere and you can work with a good team i know you have your team down in kentucky and all that stuff that you got dialed in the only spot when i started that i had dialed in like at the time i was going to school in madison for my doctorate i started investing in madison wisconsin wisconsin which to all for all intents and purposes is the jewel of wisconsin yep. if you want to own property in one town in wisconsin it's madison
1: yep. the
0: reason i stopped is it was harder to do um cash flowing deals and i needed a lot of capital the price point was higher
1: yeah
0: so i moved back to the only other spot i knew which was the spot i went to undergrad for four years and started buying there it's so probably my the next
1: best spot in the state
0: yeah, 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 exactly. Maybe you didn't know
1: that at the time, but
0: (laughs) I did not. And and at the time, I don't think it quite was, but man, the last four or five years in Eau Claire has been really good. Um, But yeah, you want to look for stable. Like I love those size towns in in the Midwest. And I think we take this for granted because it's definitely not. Everywhere, Minnesota has it. Wisconsin has it. I know New York has a strong state education education system as well. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of these towns that have these colleges. Eau Claire has one. Menominee has one. Yeah. Um, I, I invest some in Oshkosh, UW Oshkosh is there. Yep. We have a very good state run lower tier college education. And I don't want to like run the college colleges, they're not lower tier, but they're just smaller, yeah, state smaller, schools. smaller,
1: smaller state schools. Yeah.
0: Yep. So you get government funding. That's huge coming through a town, right? Um, strong healthcare. There's a male branch in Eau Claire and a couple other, there's a Marshfield yep. clinic, et cetera. Um, maybe people don't know this, but Menards, Menards is headquartered in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Yep. John Menard, I don't know, 20th richest man in the world. Yep. He's in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. If Menards moved, ouch. So that, yeah, that does scare me a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so I, I look for so like a few strong reasons that employers and people want to live in the town. But also if you're going to do my metrics, right? That we talked about these creative deals. It's really hard to do that in Denver. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to ratchet that LTV of debt service that loan to value up very high in Denver. So yep. maybe the bank will give you 50, 60% LTV here. If you're going to try to put a 15% seller's note on top of that, that's not going to cash flow. Just, yep. it's and just well, not. And
1: they're just, all they're going to do is if you could, let's say you could get 60% and you put 15% seller financing, they're going to go, okay, we'll give you 45% now. Exactly. Cause that's all the property can support. <clears throat> yeah. That's it. That's just it. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: So it was um, kind of probably, I had to go. smaller markets to do what I was doing. So, but but
1: how are you being successful in them? I guess is is more of my question. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You know, you're a remote investor and you're being successful. So what are the, what are you doing on the ground or from, from the the computer?
0: Yeah. So as far as like my marketing goes, the nice thing about smaller towns too, is once you kind of get to a certain size and I, I don't know if I'm there yet, but Eau is a smallish town. It feels small. So once you people start realizing you're buying assets, it's pretty easy to know who's all buying asset, who who owns sure. the assets. Yeah. So I've, I've developed my network there. If things are going to kind of move, generally, I will hear about it. And people will let me know, even though I'm in Denver, like, hey, Nate, I'm looking at selling these units. So I usually get a first look on a lot of stuff, not everything, but that's huge growing your network. And I do see that fading. I I will definitely say that like now that I'm not front of mind, literally in person, like maybe I'm slowly um, drifting to the back of the pack. So I need to kind of up my game there, but from boots on there,
1: a certain amount of time. Yeah. I usually make sure
0: I'm there like quarterly. I try to, and I'm just booking meetings with my maintenance managers, obviously my property managers. Um, But more, it's a lot of people around town, Uh, my bankers, other property owners. What are you seeing? What are you doing? That's usually what my schedule is full with. I've had to learn how to be an asset manager, which you absolutely know about. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest struggles was when I moved out here in 2018. I think I purchased like 80 units at the time. And I just thought that it was everything back there was going to just operate just how perfect. it's always. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And like, my guys are just going to do what they do every day when I was on site and and it didn't. And it was just a lack of extreme ownership on my part and things ran over budget. And I was like, man, this is not working. So I really had to adjust. So I've become an asset manager like yourself. It's weekly meetings with my property management companies. Hey, where's our leasing report? Hey, is there any delinquencies? What are we doing on these three remodels? I mean, stuff, stuff I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. I know with you, um, it does help that property management company in Eau Claire is the one that I helped start. It's a lot of the employees, the core employees, are employees that I helped hire and put in those places. So I still have that rapport, I guess, and that makes yeah. me feel very comfortable because I have an intimate relationship with those employees.
1: Okay, so that's what that was my next question. So you're now using it's a, a third party property management company. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, uh, um, is there is there a thought of like do you get to a certain size and then you go, Hey, I'm going to bring it back in house and just manage our, or our own properties in house. Or is it just like, Hey, you know, uh, if I'm going to be remote, it just makes a lot more sense to just be the asset manager. What What's the thought there?
0: Yeah. Um, I guess. I, I don't know if I'll bring it back in house. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like I'm happy. I I use a different property manager. We actually expanded over to like the Appleton Green Bay area. And now we've now since retracted out of there. So I use a a PMI franchise over there. They do my stuff. I would like to build out my team personally from like an asset manager standpoint um, from like me, but I don't think I'll ever bring it back in house. We did that I will say that it's it's tough to manage assets. I guess the, the decision, I guess, would be it's a lot easier to deal with those headaches in the tenant complaints if it's your asset. We managed other people's assets, as you can see by the unit count. That was tough, right? The advantages, I would say it allowed us to say like, maybe at the time I had 50 units and we managed 500. Well, maybe we're able to bring a full-time CPA on because we have 500. And then I get access to a CPA or a more skilled maintenance technician that I could afford personally. It's
1: more of an advantage for your 50 units than it is to just, it's, it's almost like, hey, we're doing this management company to benefit our 50 units, not to make a bunch of money on these other 450 units.
0: That's exactly it. We we honestly didn't make much money. The other advantage it did have is deals. So when an owner is going to sell, a lot of times they'll tell their property management company first. Yeah. So yeah. I did get some units that way. But those yeah. are really the only advantages I saw.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um. Any any like, I don't know, one or two keys to successful asset management from uh, a distance.
0: Yeah. I mean having systems down right and kpis like a big thing I always go over is the leasing report I I don't know I'm, I'm a stickler on that yeah um we always do like our system for that is 100 days out you're gonna get your renewal like hey this is this is you know you're 100 days out from your lease expiration date this so is where your rent's going to go uh, we're going to give you 40 days' you like about 60 days out we want to know are you moving out or are you not um that gives us 60 days in the unit. And then generally what we'll do from like a maintenance standpoint, say, Hey, we're moving out. We'll go in there do our maintenance check. Hey, these carpets are going to need, need to be replaced or this is going to need to be painted. We'll have that conversation. If it's like a really bad unit where we don't see the benefit in doing that before that tenant. In other words, is the tenant going to ruin what we're going to do before they move out? We won't do it, but we'll, we'll come to like a decent tenant and say, Hey, we, we want to replace these carpets. Do you mind? Like, it's going to be a, a headache half day for you but you're going to get to enjoy them the last two months of your lease that saves us on turnover time on the back end mm-hmm. so we can flip these units on two or three days yeah. generally the tenants are on board because they get new carpet or new paint or new appliances for the last 60 days of their lease yeah. so it's a conversation to because turnovers are what you know kills us the most right like um, the, the capex that you're putting into the buildings is you already allocated, you know what I mean? Like you already know yep. what you're gonna do to those units. So <laughs> if you can just get it done while the tenants in the unit, it's a win-win, in my opinion. And we try to really sell tenants on that to cut down on those turnover times.
1: Yeah, that that's huge if you can get into these units, especially if you're talking like a single family home or a, a larger unit, you know, size, and you can get you know there's gonna be a decent amount, like the paint and the flooring and stuff like that. Or if you want to do any remodeling, you know, we've done it before where we wanted to you know, do some upgrading. So we're replacing countertops and appliances and things like that. And you can do that when, if, especially if you've got a decent, you know, if you've got a decent resident that's living there that you know is not going to trash it. Of course, if you got the one person that you're like just their hoarder or they just can't, you know, you know, they're going to destroy it. You don't want to do that. But yeah, that, that can be really valuable to just get in there, get it done. And then when that resident moves out, man, you can get the next person in in a day or two or maybe three, you know, you just boom in and out like that. That's yeah, huge. yeah. That is huge. Yeah. I agree. Vacancy, you know, turnover. Uh, those are, those are massive costs. So keeping yeah. residents in, is there anything you guys do to try to keep residents in your buildings for longer? So,
0: yeah. Um, so like this last year was just, and I'm sure you saw it too. It was just a year of astronomical inflation. Let's just call it that. But from my standpoint, we really jacked up rents last year just because I bought, like I had a big value add. I bought at the end of 2021, I bought like 36 townhome units that were all right around $1,000 a month in rent. And they should be right around 1300 so when we send out the renewals, we usually send a nice letter along. It says something like the following, like, Hey, here is where your rent's going to go. If you decide to stay, I know that this is super, like maybe a big jump up in rent 20, 25%, whatever it, it was. We very much encourage you to look around, look at the same style of unit you have. And I, I, we're guaranteeing you're going to find that this is right in line with the market. We'd love to have you as a tenant, You'd stay with us, et cetera. I bet you about 75 to 80% of the tenants stayed. They they did exactly what they, they went mm-hmm. out and looked. They they we let them know, hey, we want you as a tenant. This isn't like a, a method to try to get you out, but we yeah. this is where the market is. And so having that personal touch in it, it's a blanket letter. It's not like it's every time, right? But you just swap yeah. out the names. But having that, that letter where they kind of feel like, hey, this my te- my landlord just this is where it is, and, and they'll yep. find that. And the hassle of moving usually is mm-hmm. too much and they'll end up staying.
1: No, I think that's that's really awesome to be doing because you're just com- it's just that extra layer of communication that most people don't do, and you know what? You get a letter and it says your rent's going from a thousand to thirteen hundred or whatever it is, and and, and they're going to be pissed like they're just like this is way too much. I'm going to leave unless they have something there that explains hey this is why and we encourage you to look around but this is where the market is so we we did something very similar uh where we you know we're way behind on our on our rent amounts and it's like you got to explain it and more people are willing to stay now certainly some people are going to go this is just too much you know i'm going to find something different but i think if they can afford it and they see that that's the market they're going to be like okay you know they explain it to us but if you just throw this letter in, you're probably going to piss more people off without just really a good explanation. So I love that. Um, yeah. what's, what are, what are some, like, you, you got some morning habits, Some um, some, maybe, maybe it's a lunchtime habit. Maybe it's a evening before you go to bed habit. What, what are a couple habits that you have that you really think set you up for success?
0: Yeah. I, I try to do a morning routine. It's a, it's a combination of meditation and gratitude. I, I have 11 month year old son now. So it, it that's so, thrown a wrench yeah, in it a little that, bit. It gets a little messy then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been good back. Like, so he was born in February of 2022 most of 2022 is pretty good actually. And then near the end of 2022, it got pretty rough and I've been solid so far. I mean, what are we 13 days in great work, Nate, 13 days of solid yeah. work. Yeah. Um, kind of, it's kind of like half the miracle morning routine that really sets me up. If I can just sit down, I can lay out my day and my planner. I can be, lay out my five things. I'm really grateful for and meditate and just clear my head that really sets me up for success. Uh, being active. I just feel better when I'm, when I'm active, yeah. um, eating right, uh, all those things really, if if we take care of ourselves, we're better able to take care of our tenants, our employees, our wife, our spouse, our kids. Um, I, I really believe in that. And it starts with you taking care of yourself.
1: Love it. Love it, man. Um, okay. Couple last questions, um, before we wrap up. So What's a, what's a favorite book that you can pass to our listeners?
0: Yeah, right now I'm really digging the gap and the gain. And I think, I think that resonates and I, you know, some of the listeners I'm sure have read it. I don't know if you have, but like, have not. Uh, man, it, it's solid. So like, like last year, I think it was 2021. Like I had this goal that I wanted to purchase 10 million in cash flowing assets in a year. So in the next 12 months, I missed that goal. I purchased only $8 million. Boohoo. And I like us as entrepreneurs will focus on that 2 million that we didn't purchase. Right. And we'll beat ourselves up on it. And that's what's called the gap. And what the gain is, is we forget about the 8 million that I purchased. Right. Right. We don't celebrate that. Don't celebrate that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that hits home. Like (laughs) that's totally me. Right. I'll like look back on my week and I do my morning routine, routine, six days out of seven, I'll be like, you didn't do the seventh day. And I should be like, you did it six out of seven. And that's really hitting home right now because I've been seeing myself like get more negative. Like we're not finding deals. Why are we not finding deals? Whereas I'm like, Nate, you got all these other deals that are out to pasture They're cash flowing. Well, like I should be focused there. Right. But we're always kind of like trying to improve and that's the nature of the beast. But that book's really kind of helped me shift that mindset if that will help any of the listeners
1: love it love it um what's a mistake that you've made how can you pass down some some knowledge to our listeners
0: i think i've done this twice and i kind of touched on it um like earlier I've, I've gone too, too fast, too quick twice and like ran out of capital is what it is. In, in, you know, in, in your line of work, you guys talk about that all the time too, right? You get kind of overraise to make sure you don't do this. Yes. For me, it's all my own capital. I don't raise. So like when I bought those 80 units, things just started running over three or four or five renovations run over and you get hit with a, a boiler system going out a couple roofs leaking. Well, that adds up to like a hundred grand that you weren't accounting for yeah. real quick. So, you know, just a couple of times I've ramped it up too quick and learned and it was fine. You just got to take a step back in six months. Usually you, you, you kind of work yourself out of that with your cash flow. And that's why it's super important to have strong cash flow. Um, one of the times I had to go back to work as a pharmacist and really ramp my my hours up. Thankfully, I'm able to do that and really make a strong W-2 income if I need to. But but th- that's something that I've learned in now I don't, you know, I I know now. Hopefully I don't make that mistake again. But yeah, that was uh, starting off and, and then it's times. a habit, man. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's something I'd I'd uh warn the listeners about because those weren't yeah. fun times.
1: Yeah. Running running out of capital is obviously never a good thing. So having ample reserves. And I don't I I mean, there's there's probably a too much, but I don't think most people will ever hit. Uh, too much as far as reserves go. Uh, you, you just, especially when, I mean, we've had, we've had some beautiful times, right? The, the economy has been great, especially in multifamily, especially in, in real estate. Um, but you know, rougher times will come and you just want to make sure you're able to weather that storm. Uh, so yeah, capital is huge. Uh, all yeah. right. So last question, what are your three pillars of wealth creation?
0: Yeah. So I believe that you need to have a a correct vehicle and it needs to be scalable. My vehicle is real estate. That does not have to be everybody's vehicle. As you mentioned, the last decade, it's just been phenomenal to us. But generally what's been phenomenal in the last decade maybe won't be in the next decade, as That's you kind of touched on as well. But it needs to be scalable and repeatable. So vehicle, scalable, repeatable. And real estate is that for me. It it just is, I, I have my markets dialed in. I can buy these, I, I buy small multifamily. I buy post 1970s built multifamily. Anything from a duplex up to, there's really no top, but eventually I start dealing with guys like you, Todd, that can just you know get better loans on the Fannie Freddie product and bring in investors and beat me out. So I don't know if that's at like the 5 million mark or where that is. But I I live in that range that two to thirty unit range and I I know it well I have my systems and operations down and I can just keep repeating them I just it's like a conveyor belt I bring them in via my marketing process we fix them up we put them out to pasture with our renters and they cash flow.
1: You know it's funny because you've been doing this for a while here, um, and you're you just said that you you it's the vehicle scalable repeatable and you're focusing on the same thing so many people that are entrepreneurs get this like shiny object syndrome right and they they, they wow. see somebody else doing something different than them and doing well and by the way they don't even know that they're doing well they just see a, a post on facebook or you know whatever linkedin or whatever and they assume they're doing well they assume because that person bought uh you know whatever a, a, a mobile home park or uh you know big apartment building or whatever, that, that means they're, they must be doing extremely well. And that's the way they should go. all, all of a sudden I got to start buying, you know, self storage because I know somebody else that did it. It's, it. So it's, it's, I applaud you for, for sticking to what you're really good at. And I think that pe- more people, more entrepreneurs need to do that. Stick what you're really good at, stick what you've done and just hammer it and, and go to it and man, you're going to be so much more successful. Eventually you can hitch on some new things. Eventually you can go, you know, if you want to go to bigger product, um, but get really, really good at what you're doing and do it really well, do it better than everybody else. And then think about maybe expanding, but man, it it just, it, you're, I think you're so much more successful if you go the way you're going.
0: I totally agree. And I, I struggle with this too. So it's not like I have this nailed. So yeah, for the listeners, yeah.
1: nobody's I perfect. <laughs> ever, yeah.
0: Like I, I see guys just crushing it too. Right. And I'm just yeah. like, ah, oh, squirrel, let's go over here. Yeah. But yeah, if I can just stay in my lane um, we've been talking about that on a pod level, like kind of my guys ran to me and like Nate stay there for at least another couple of years. And then if you want to, you know, do a syndication or you want to go over to the, uh, I like industrial. I kind of want to get into the industrial space eventually, but like, let's build the bedrock here that will make up for any shortcomings, any broken noses that you're going, you're, you're definitely going to have.
1: have.
0: Yeah. So yeah, that, that's kind of a big thing for me right now is discipline this year for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things you got to really look at, you know, as Nathan, as you're as you're eventually going to get there, probably where you will hitch on something, is you got to look at, okay, is whatever I'm adding on going to be a distraction to what I already have? And so is what I already have going to suffer because I'm taking my eye off of that and moving towards something else? Or do we have the processes, the systems, and the people in place to where that's pretty much running the way it should? Because I've built the team, because I've built the systems and processes, and now can we build this out or add this on as well? And I think that's really important to look at. Uh, and I think that's where most people get you know, into a bad situation is where they don't have the systems, the processes, the teams in place on the what's really making them money, and they go and do something else. Totally agree. Yep. Absolutely. We only got so much time and energy.
0: And if we neglect something, it will shrink and die eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Love it. All right, man. Um, any last words of advice? No, I I mean, like, I think just discipline, tenacity. Uh, I'm, I'm just a really hardworking kid from a really small town in Wisconsin. I'm not super smart, but that's my attribute. I work really hard. I think that gets you 90% of the way in life. Like it really does. So yeah, discipline and work ethic, I think are huge.
1: Love it. Love it, man. Well, Nathan, again, really appreciate it. How can our listeners uh, reach out to you, learn more about what you got going on?
0: Yeah, I I put some content out on Instagram. Um, My my tag is dr underscore Nate underscore real estate. I try to add some value there. So if your listeners would give me a follow, I'd really appreciate it. And hopefully they uh, find
1: value in my content. Awesome. Love it, man. All right. Thanks again, and you have a fantastic rest of the day. You too, man. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you being a loyal listener. Say, I would love to have you go on to our Facebook page and subscribe. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Go on to iTunes or wherever you listen and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to subscribe. Your rating and review it just helps us push this out to more and more people and continue to grow our audience and hopefully positively affect a ton of people out there that really need this and and want this. So uh, the other thing I've got for you is a free ebook on my website. So go on to venturedproperties.com, venturedproperties.com and download our free ebook on real estate and on syndication. And I've got some data points in there, some really good stuff for you. So I'd love to have you take a look at that. It's free. I'm not expecting anything from it.